Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, thank you for joining us for Everything Under the Sun, the AccuWeather podcast. I'm your host, meteorologist Regina Miller. I'm joined in the studio by Andy Robb, my producer. And also this week, I am joined back in the studio by senior meteorologist Evan Myers, and he's also half of our daily weather insider podcast thanks for coming back in and talking to us today evan that sounds almost king (laughs) solomon-esque did you like how i I have like half i'm a half (laughs) you're man i don't know but uh it's always good to be here and it's always great to be able to expand and expound on uh, some of the great weather stories in history i know and you know what evan do you have a favorite um season probably you know it's interesting um i like them all I think spring is probably my favorite because Me too. I get tired of the winter. You know, most people, when, when polls are done, uh, fall, autumn is the, is the number one season that people like. But, you know, it's too much that it's getting chillier again and winter's coming. And I don't want winter to come. I, I want spring to come. Right. So. And I'm like you because what happens is fall is beautiful in the northeast where we're at. And everybody's always like, oh, I love fall. But I'm like panicking because I'm like, oh, my gosh, winter's coming, you know. So spring is the beginning of it all. It's the beginning of picnics. I like that. The beginning of it all. It is. Now, you know what? So this week we are going to be talking about the year without a summer, which I can't imagine. There has been times I complained that, you know, doesn't seem like we got a summer this year. But let me just kind of do a little breakdown of this. So it was two centuries ago. Um, The weather event was near biblical proportions here. Heavy snow in June, freezing temperatures in July, hard frost in August, and it led to near famine conditions. They called it the year without a summer, and I I had never heard of this. I think the first time I heard of this, Evan, was um, when we had uh, Elliot Abrams in talking about the revolution and weather, and that was the first I heard about this. So tell me about this event. 1815, uh, the year without a summer, 1800 and froze to death. On the morning of April 10th uh, in the Java Sea, uh, Mount Tambora, uh, a volcano exploded. And as you said, uh, biblical proportions, uh, it was one of the greatest cataclysmic events ever in the history of the earth. Some uh, volcanologists, uh, claimed that it was the greatest volcanic eruption in history. Certainly, uh, it was the greatest volcanic eruption since the 500 uh, A.D. time period. So uh, almost uh, 12, 1,300 to 1,500 years before. And uh, some folks say that uh, Tambora was an even greater uh, explosion than that. Uh, the interesting thing, and we'll get into that in, in a couple of minutes, about the profound impact it had on the weather. Uh, but uh, just to give you an idea of what happened, the, uh, the amount of, uh, of dust and dirt 
that was spewed out of the volcano and into the high atmosphere because it was a, a tremendous explosion that continued to explode over a period of about 10 days. The amount is 24 square cubic miles, 24 cubic, not square miles, cubic miles. So to give you a, an idea, from a square mile standpoint, that's just the footprint on the ground, uh, 24 is 576 square miles. That's bigger than the city limits of Los Angeles. Oh, wow. So that's just the footprint. But then you have to go down in the earth in all directions the same amount. That's a cubic mile. Think of a cube. It's wow. not just the top of it. It's not just the tabletop. Consider that the tabletop goes all the way down to the ground. So that was spewed into the high atmosphere. So it's horizontal and vertical. It's every. It's yeah, in every, wow. it, It's in every direction that you can imagine. And I want to just put that a little bit into perspective. Some of the uh, the, the volcanoes and, and other things that we might have heard about uh, in the past. The fact of the matter is that... Uh, some of the uh, volcanoes, volcanoes, uh, we've heard of one Krakatoa in the 1880s. You may have heard of that. Yes, that I've was heard a, of that one. That was one cubic mile. Oh wow! So that's a huge dirt. difference. One and a, a cubic mile. It's not just 24 times as big. It's in it's in all directions. Uh, Mount St. Helens was about a quarter of a cubic mile, and all those uh, volcano volcanoes had an impact. But this was just. Un, um, unpre unprecedented. Uh, more people were killed uh, in the uh, explosion and the uh, protoplastic cloud that followed uh, than in any other volcano, volcano in history, including uh, at uh, uh, Mount Vesuvius at Pompeii. And those close to 100,000 people perished in the first several days just from the volcano. What happened after that is actually millions died because of the weather impact, and that's what we're going to talk about as well. But it was just uh, one of the most one of the most unbelievable natural disasters, natural explosions to ever face the planet. Wow! And so when I first started uh, looking into this, Evan, I thought initially, you know, after talking to Elliot, I was like, "Oh, this was a New England thing." Oh, but then I found out this was global. The effects of this were in Europe, in the U.S. So talk to me about some of the after effects of this, because they didn't even know that that was the cause. We didn't have communication like we do now. Well, it's, it's kind of interesting because uh, that had its greatest effects in the northern hemisphere. So you talked about New England. So we can start there. Uh, in uh, the higher elevations of Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Vermont, upstate New York, uh, through Maine, where crops had been grown, it, the crops could not grow uh, because uh, they planted them. They started to grow, but they were killing frosts and freezes in every month of the year. The earth's temperature dropped about one degree. Now, you might not think that that's a lot, but one degree is significant. And the interesting thing also is that this came at the end of what's called the Little Ice Age that ran from the 1400s into the early 1800s. So the the planet was already somewhat cooler than uh, the average over the millennium uh, prior to that. And so this just kind of added on to it. But uh, there, were, there were snow uh, reported in Albany on June 6th, uh, killing frost in Cape May, New Jersey, five nights in a row in June. It just, the, the crops just couldn't grow. You know, it's interesting, you, 
there's this uh, 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 quote from Horace Greeley, who uh, ran for president a little bit later, but it was a newspaper guy. And he said, go west, young man, go west, young man. And people thought, oh, this is uh, he's look, people telling people to go look for opportunity uh, some, you know, in the western part of the country. Well, the, it came about in 1816, the next year, the year without a summer, because the crops were dying. They were, he was urging people to leave New England and go someplace else. Oh, I thought that quote was about going to get gold or something. No, it was a go someplace else to, <laughs> to find crop. So that that actually, the, the actual, uh, not his quotes, but the actual uh, problems with agriculture caused a, a fairly significant migration of uh, people into what was then called the Northwest Territories, which was Michigan and Ohio, Indiana, Illinois. And Michigan, Indiana, Illinois, all within about five years became states because they had such a big increase in population because people headed in that direction. But there was not only uh, crop failures in, in New England, where a lot of the farming was done down into the mid-Atlantic states, but there was also massive crop failures in Northern Europe. Germany, France, places like that. It's estimated that uh, in Germany, several hundred thousand people died because of starvation, because right. because of the crops. So this was a worldwide phenomena, and it took several years to for it to recover. Because what happened is, we had all this uh, dust and dirt spewed way high into the atmosphere. But then what occurred? was that it took a while for it to settle out, it took several years to settle out. So 1816 was the coldest year, but the next several years after that were somewhat cooler, and then things started to recover. But it still took at least a decade for all that dust to settle out of the atmosphere. And if you look at some of the Impressionist paintings from the early, the beginnings of Impressionism, from the early 1800s, 1820s, 1830s, a lot of the sunsets, a lot of the cloud, a lot of the, the sky it didn't look blue. In Europe, the European painters, it looked kind of yellowish. And that was because of uh, all that dust in the atmosphere. Right. And and it's different than, like, we'll get that with smoke or wildfires where you'll have that kind of look. But it's so high that rain won't right, which, wash it away. You're above the weather, right? Exactly. Which smoke gets washed out right. when it rains some of that and the and pollutants get washed out from time to time but it, because it was spewed so high in the atmosphere and circled the globe right it was above the weather it, it caused the weather but it was above the weather so it took a while for it to settle down once it got into the lower sections of the atmosphere it was some of it was able to get washed out but that took a couple of decades until it was all gone wow and so it caused uh so so people were a lot of people were like starving or there were a lot of issues like that with people migrating. So did it cause like some significant social unrest? It did cause social unrest. It caused social unrest in, in, in Great Britain and in Germany and in France it, it, and definitely and across uh, into uh, Poland and in those areas because uh, people demanded food. Uh, mm -hmm. They had they didn't have enough. And so there were peasant revolutions that occurred in the, during those times. And uh, in fact, uh, that uh, just continued uh, into uh, it, it led to some more industrialization. But that continued into the into the 1840s. And of course, the Communist Manifesto was written in 1848 because of a lot of disruption and a lot of uh, a lot of uh, problems with with revolutions and uh, 
and, and the way people were treated and the fact that they just didn't have enough to eat, uh, that caused a lot of upheaval, and that led to all kinds oh, of different philosophies. So right. it's had a, it had a profound effect on that as well. Right. So even, oh yeah, so even politically, because that's interesting when you say that, because you would think the, the Communist Manifesto, because they're thinking, okay, we need to make sure everybody is equally treated Correct. you know so i could see how that would have arisen out of that well well well, well this is this is kind of interesting uh prices uh because some regional farmers were able to do okay but generally it was a problem so prices rose tremendously for example uh the price of oats for example uh in in great britain uh converted to cents was about uh two cents a uh, 12 cents per bushel before uh, this occurred uh, in 1815, but by 1816, a year later, it was 92 cents a bushel. Oh, which so, would have been So huge. it was like seven times it, but people weren't making any more money, right. but now they didn't have enough money. So a lot of people were living in a subsistence way prior to this. At this point, they didn't have money, they didn't have money to buy food, right? They, and, let oh, alone wow. a place to live. And I had also, um, when I was kind of looking over the subject, I had also heard that it there was some uh, r- almost religious extremism that came about as a result of this as well. Well, there were all kinds of different, uh, as, as you said, as we said, social upheavals that occurred because of this. And uh, it, it, it was a desperate time. It was a very desperate time. Uh, and we think about, think back to those days, there were no major roads. Railroads weren't around then. Uh, there were a few uh, waterways that were navigable. They hadn't built many of the big canals yet that started to be built in the uh, 1820s, 1830s. So there was very little way to transport food. So if you lived in, a, in an area where there was significant crop failure, not only you couldn't not just afford it, you couldn't even get it. You couldn't find it. You couldn't it. find it. Uh, but this is one of the reasons why there was a lot of peasant revolutions to try to seize some of the food. But in some places, there was no food to seize. Right. And so, so that's ca- the migration. It caused migration. Mm. And, and, and it, as time went on, so it caused a blight and crop failures in Ireland, for example. And uh, within uh, 20 years, because of the ongoing blight, the potato famine occurred in, in Ireland in, in the 1840s, about uh, 25 years later. And it's interesting because the population, just as an example, in Ireland in, in about 1840 was about 6 million people. Within 15 years, the population of Ireland was 2 million. 2 million oh, survived, left. 2 million died from famine, oh. and 2 million em- emigrated to the United States. Oh. So so think about that. So that's that, that's just one example of other things that occurred uh, in the rest of especially Europe. The United States had the luxury of being able to, folks were able to move west to lower elevations, places like Indiana and Illinois and do some farming. It was not in the mountainous area, the hilly areas, where there was a lot of farming in places like New Hampshire and Vermont. People don't think about that now because it's so hilly and rocky Mm -hmm. and so on. That's where the people lived, and that's where a lot of farming took place, a lot of uh, foodstuff farming. Further south in places like the Carolinas and Georgia, it was more like tobacco, things like that that you couldn't eat. So all those folks moved west, and and in the United States there was an outlet for that. In Europe there was no such outlet, either come to the United States, starve, or revolt. Wow. Now I had also, you mentioned the Impressionist paintings because I had also heard um, 
Frankenstein was written during yes, that? Yes. Yeah. It was. Well, uh, Mary Shelley was uh, confined to a uh, to, to wherever she was. I don't know if she was vacationing or whatever. She was stuck in in this place because of the tremendous snows and the horrible weather and wrote Frankenstein during, during that right. period of, uh, of seclusion because of the weather. I think it's interesting because it's, it's kind of a, a case study that we have in rapid climate change. So I'm curious, could something like this happen again? And how would it be different if it did? So the short answer is yes. It definitely could happen again. And I'll get to there in a second. But that, you, you raised an interesting point. So in California, prior to three years ago, for about a 10- or 12-year period, there was a horrible drought. Horrible drought. So, uh, you know, it was, it was asked, is that climate change? So the climate absolutely did change during that 10-, 12-year period. And uh, while you were in that period, it, it, the climate was different. It was climate change. In the last three years, there's been a tremendous amount of rain. In fact, there is no drought in California. You know, some people had said, oh, that's going to take decades for it to reverse itself because it was looked at as linear. The weather and climate both are not linear. Things, extraordinary events can happen and change the course of things. So in California, what's happened uh, is because of the impact of some of the temperature changes in the, in the Pacific Ocean. Now we have a lot of rain, so there's no drought. Uh, reservoirs that were once parched are now over overflowing with water. And uh, so what could happen again? Could this occur again, this specific thing that in a year, in the snap of, uh, of your finger, could that cause this to happen again? Well, this kind of event, not maybe to this extent, but this kind of huge event happens once on the average of every thousand years in Earth's history. That doesn't mean so that we're you, not due. Well, <laughs> see, that's the problem with averages. <laughs> yeah. That's the problem with averages. Is so we may not have another event like this in ten thousand years, or we might have it next year because that's it's an average. Right. And exactly. Earth's history is millions of years old, so it could happen. But one thing that is interesting is that we're in a very benign period of volcanic activity. And there have been other time periods when there haven't been these kind of big explosions, but there have been time periods where there's a lot of volcanic activity that continues to spew smaller amounts, a quarter of a cubic mile, half a cubic mile, a mile of, of dust into the high atmosphere that actually lowers the Earth's temperature. So one of the things that uh, could reverse global warming is a... a, a prolonged period of uh, volcanic activity around the globe, which is possible. Uh, I'm not a volcanologist, and I don't pretend right. to be one, so I don't know when that might be due. And, you know, predict when, when a weather forecaster gets the forecast wrong for one day, when they're off by a day, that's bad. Or when a climate scientist talks about something and they're off by a decade, that's bad. When you're predicting uh, your volcanic Plate eruptions, tectonics. And, right, and, and you're off by like a couple of uh, centuries. Oh, you look how accurate that was. So yeah. I'm not. Um, it's, it's equal to like when a weather forecaster gets it off by like a day. Or right. So. So, so I don't want to go there right. exactly. But the interesting thing is that if we do go into a period of a lot of volcanic activity, it would cool the atmosphere. So what would that mean? Um, again, I, I don't know. Would it mean that that would reverse the trend of global heating? Don't know. Uh, could what happened uh, that occurred after 
uh, Tambora when uh, things after several years started to go settle back. And mm -hmm. in fact, the earth at that point did start to warm mm -hmm. uh, from then till now. So uh, you saw that that had an immediate impact for a couple of years, like the rains in, in California. But just like the rains in California, are we going to go back to a dry period in California or are we in a wet period? So just like if there's a lot of volcanic activity, are things going to, would things cool down and stay cool or would they in fact go back to the warming trend? So these are things that we, we, it's we, we just don't know. It's complicated. It's complicated we I, just we, don't know. But it certainly can, but it, the question is, could this happen again? And the answer is, yep. Right. And we, <laughs> yep. The answer is, short answer, yep. This is one, one something else that's interesting. Uh, when Thomas Jefferson had retired and was farming at Monticello, he had sustained crop failures that put him in debt. He died in debt because his corn crops wouldn't grow because of the cold, uh, bec bec just because of this. So it's uh, it's kind of interesting. It's had, really? it, this had far-reaching, long-term effects everywhere on the planet. Well, I always appreciate your insight, Evan. It's great to have you in here, and we also want to remind folks to listen to Weather Inside. Yes, Insider. please. We have please. our other podcast with you and Bernie Reno, and you talk about the weather of the day or the next couple of days. Absolutely, and give some inside information that you're not going to get anywhere else about how specific things in the next couple of days could impact uh, what you do with your life. Thanks, Evan. Sure. And of course, our thanks to Evan Myers and Regina for that great interview. But before we wrap up for this week, uh, we're going to tell you about a brand new travel series here with the AccuWeather Network. Joining me in the studio right now from the AccuWeather Network, he's a video producer as well as a travel blogger, Lincoln Riddle. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So tell us all about the great American road trip. Um, so from July 8th through the end of the month, we will be driving across the country exploring destinations known and unknown. Um, I'll be doing that myself, but our team of reporters and producers will be visiting multiple destinations across the United States, like the Grand Canyon um, and other destinations that aren't affiliated with my road trip. Uh, but my road trip goes on a northern route across the country. It starts at our headquarters here in State College and then runs all the way to Seattle, Washington. And you're going to try to do this in how many days? It looks like it's going to be like 23 or 24 days. Wow. Mm -hmm. And yeah. you're going to be hitting a lot of national parks along the way? Yep. Our very first stop is going to be Indiana Dunes National Park. That's the newest national park in the system. It's just south of Chicago, so that's going to be our very first stop. Unbelievable. Now, you've done a lot of traveling in the past. What kind of stuff do you do to prepare for such a large excursion like this? How do you get yourself ready? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot to do. You got to take care of your house. Uh, I have pets. You got to get your pets aligned. Um, so the very first thing I did was, you know, secure someone to watch my pets. Uh, some people go with kennels. I personally have a sitter who comes. Um, after that, you know, I've got a. I've already like paid all my bills for the month. You know, stuff like that has to be knocked out. You want to be on the road having to deal with that. Mm -hmm. um, I had to obviously rent a car, so there's been a lot of preparation and like booking flights back because we're driving there and then flying, flying back. back. Okay, um, and then you know laying out just the route itself, like a route that's flexible enough based off weather and that sort of thing. Whatever. You know, it's a dynamic route, so it's going to change. Yeah. Um, but we're trying to have like a general flow of we want to hit these places, so we just need to make sure that wherever we go, we can end up in the spots we've kind of selected, the points of interest that we've selected. And um, you might be also making some appearances, keeping us updated on your journey on the Everything Under the Sun podcast, as well as the Weather Insider, right? 
yeah, along the way, I'll hopefully be calling in from different destinations and kind of giving you guys an inside look at what's going on on the road. And also maybe adding a couple different travel tips as well, because you are quite well versed in travel tips. If you haven't checked him out on YouTube, Lincoln Riddle <laughs> is his YouTube channel. And I tell you, some of the videos that you come up with are just fantastic and, and how you. and how you really gotten traveling down to a yeah. science, including um, airfare. You're yeah. very good at hunting down yeah. airfare deals. Yeah. That's my, my favorite thing. I just sit at home. I look up airfare deals. I really do. I just sit there and I'll just shuffle through them. If I find a good one, I try and book it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so if anybody out there is interested in tuning in and following the Great American Road Trip, how will they go about doing that? Uh, well, it will be on the AccuWeather Network Tuesdays and Thursdays at 7.30 a.m. and then 4.30 p.m. Those are Eastern times. Um, and then you'll obviously be able to uh, follow us along on social media, Facebook, Twitter, that sort of thing. And then as well as AccuWeather.com. Awesome. And you're heading out next Monday, right? Mm -hmm. That's yeah, when it all starts. That is that <laughs> is great. And it's going to be absolutely amazing with AccuWeather's Great American Road Trip with Lincoln Riddle. He'll be checking in with us. Thank you so much for stopping in today. And, of course, uh, best of luck on your journey. <laughs> Thank you for having me. And make sure to tune in next week. We'll be talking all about skin cancer and melanoma prevention, speaking with somebody from the Skin Cancer Foundation, and more. So tune in. You don't want to miss it. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Be sure to subscribe to AccuWeather's Everything Under the Sun, giving you the stories behind the weather and so much more. New episodes every Thursday. Just search for AccuWeather on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or visit AccuWeather.com slash podcast. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.